Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Get in the know. Non-stop Vikings talk. It's Purple Daily on Score North and scorenorth.com. Purple Daily, Mackie and Judd will be joined by ESPN's Courtney Cronin this afternoon to talk Gary Kubiak and the Vikings offense heading forward into the 2021 season. But of course... Purple Daily is always sponsored by Corona Hard Seltzer because it's the only hard seltzer made with Pure Beach Fives with a refreshing splash of fruit flavors such as tropical lime, mango cherry, and blackberry lime. Corona Hard Seltzer is a tasty spike sparkling water with a splash of natural fruit flavor that allows you to enjoy the moment. In each can, Corona Hard Seltzer has zero carbs, zero sugar, 90 calories, and is gluten-free. Relax responsibly. Corona Hard Seltzer spike sparkling water with natural flavors imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Football. To evaluate the players, that's the first thing. You evaluate all the players in the program and kind of decide which ones are developmental, which ones uh, that we can win with, which ones are going to you know, move forward with. Uh, I think uh, that, that'll be the number one thing. And then once we get there, then we'll start evaluating systems and plays and um, you know, obviously, if, if there's some coaching things, that, that'll be high on the list. So, you know, just normal stuff. All right, that was Mike Zimmer talking about his offseason checklist. This is Purple Daily. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolga, Declan Goff producing, and our friend from ESPN.com, Vikings reporter, insider, Courtney Cronin. Courtney, how long did it take you to remove your jaw from the floor in surprise when you saw that Marwin Maloof's contract would not be renewed going into 2021? Not not very long. I mean, this was kind of the foregone conclusion. So he signed a two-year deal when he came on in, in January 2019, replacing Mike Prefer when Prefer went to join Kevin Stefanski. Um, or going to join Freddie Kitchens at the time, the Browns, and obviously uh, Stefanski knowing him from here, you know, and how well the special teams unit was in Cleveland in 2019 retained him. So Maloof has been here for two seasons. Dan Bailey struggled down the stretch. Um, He missed, you know, I think nine kicks in his final five games, something like that. Uh, He finished the season with um, a bunch of misses, most in the NFL. That was kind of expected, I think, at this point, just because it was not a good year. For, for Dan Bailey. It just wasn't. Um, and that falls on the special teams coordinator. But before that, there were a lot of coverage issues that Mike Zimmer saw, you know, on punt and kickoff return. They weren't explosive in those areas. I think Chad Beebe's 
Um, 11 yard return this past week was one of the longest that they had. And that one came in the first quarter of the Detroit game. So, I mean, pretty, um, you know, pretty damning stuff just for a unit that, you know, for so long was, you know, pretty explosive, but not surprised in the slightest. It's just who are you going to find to replace Maloof? I mean, you know, Prefer, I mean, Mike Zimmer had a lot of stability under Mike Prefer for a number of years. Prefer was here before Zimmer got here. So um, if he's trying to find that sort of stability, you know, that's that's not easy uh, in the NFL. And, you know, kickers are going to go through struggles. Dan Bailey was a really good kicker early on this season and then kind of had a meltdown the final month. And he was dealing with a back injury. Um, to Zimmer's credit, he never threw the kicker under the bus the way he had in previous years. Um, you know, he handled it, I think, as well as he could have, but it was a business decision. And I think that for a long time, it kind of felt like a foregone conclusion that Maloof was not going to be back. Um, now we're going to have to wait a couple months to see, you know, will Bailey be back too? Will it be a kicking competition? I think the smart thing to do would be, you know, keep him throughout OTAs, keep him throughout mini camp, training camp, have a kicking competition, and then go from there. Because the guy just signed a three-year contract last March. Um, and so it's, you know, you can save a little bit against the cap if you want to release him eventually. It's not much. It's just under $2 million. But, you know, there is, you know, the thought in my mind that you're not going to just, like, cut bait with him right away. You're probably going to want to at least see, hey, did the offseason, did he work through whatever he needed to work through this offseason, is the new special teams coordinator – going to um, be able to help him, things like that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, we've got one coaching move down and we're going to be waiting on another one, it feels like, for a little little bit. So I, I was going to say on potential move number two uh, in Kubiak, what's the timetable there? And do you buy that Gary is actually going to go home and decompress and think about the future? Or do, do you think a decision's been made and Zim is desperately trying to say, no, come back, and Kubes is going to say, look, dude, I've had health problems. I'm rich. I've got farmland in Texas. You know, it's been fun, but see ya. Yeah, I think, you know, the the thought from Zimmer, at least, the way that he came across on in his season-ending press conference is that he wants to give Gary as much time as he wants to be able to think this one through, um, praying that he comes back. You know, last year, remember, he was kind of in that same spot. Is Kubiak going to come back after Stavansky took the Browns job. Uh, what are they going to do with that position? Um, and he was kind of like a plea, like, please, Gary, come back. Now this year, I mean, he cited some of the health issues that Gary's had, you know, just kind of the mental and physical toll that this season took on all the coaches. I think Zimmer's going through that too. So at this point, he's not willing to dabble in any of the what ifs about, you know, who'd replace him, what that would look like. But I think the thing here is that whether it's Kubiak or if it's somebody else, that scheme is not changing. So I, that really limits the pool um, in today's NFL of the candidates that you would bring in that you would expect to work. Um, because Zimmer's been through this. This would be his sixth offensive coordinator in six years. And it's not saying that you know all of them have been because of a bucking of heads between the head coach and the offensive coordinator. That happened a couple times, but, you know, to our knowledge, that never happened with him and Gary. I think Gary, if he retires, it will be because he's worn the hell out yeah. and he's done this for a long time. And that, you know, this season wasn't just a, okay, get back up in the booth and call plays and it'll be like it was a couple of years ago. I mean, the you know, 
offenses have changed in, in the four years since Gary had done this as a primary play caller before, and he had to adapt. And, you know, there are mo- moments that you wonder, okay, is he a little bit behind the, the, the fastball here is, you know, and then there's other moments where, you know, they finish with, you know, f- the fourth in total offense, 11th in points this year. Mike Zimmer calls it his most explosive offense that he's had in Minnesota in seven years, which I, I think there, there's, there's certainly truth to that, but they have had other explosive offenses before. Um, I just think that this scheme fit what he wanted to do as a head coach the best. And, and that's what he wants to continue going forward. But to circle back as far as a timeline, I feel like, you know, we're still in the very early stages of the off season. They could take a couple of weeks for this. I mean, remember last year, the staff wasn't even set uh, right. until the middle of February with all of the offensive changes that they had. So that's kind of where things are at the moment. Courtney, I love the Zimmer quote because it makes perfect sense in his mind. In his yep. mind, seeing Dalvin break runs is explosive. In his, and, and this is why if Gary resigns um, on a couple fronts, one from a schematic standpoint of things aren't going to change, but if I am a potential up-and-coming OC, I'm not getting near this place because I really believe at the end of the day, post-bye week, what we saw was a combination of what Gary likes to do and what Gary can do, and Gary's very good at what Gary does, but also how Mike likes to influence things. So, yeah. I, so I buy that Zimmer sees this as my most explosive offense, and it was great. And the rest of us take a step back and are like, really? That's the most explosive offense for a, for a team that's Justin Jefferson? I don't think so. I know. I know. I get what you're saying. And, you know, I think it's very clear. Like, here's the quote. I'll read it to you about what he said, um, you know, about like, let's wait and see what happens. Then we can figure out all that stuff out. But I will say this. I love the scheme that we're running offensively. I love the wide zone offense. I love the play action passes, all those things. A coach told me one time that your offense should be what your quarterback is best at. And that's what I feel Kirk is best at. Those kind of things are what make him really good. So to me, that's really important. There's nothing he said there that's wrong at all. Um, that is what Kirk is really good at. He's a terrific play action quarterback. Um, and he's, when he's supported by a very strong run game, you can bring the best out of him. Well, you can still, like, the scheme's not broken. I, I truly believe that it's not broken at all. It's just you can add other elements to it to make it even more explosive. Um, if you really want to bring out the best in Kirk Cousins, because we saw a very good Kirk this year at the end of the season. Um, he finished with a career-high 35 touchdowns. Uh, thrown after throwing 10 interceptions in his first six games. The turnaround was there. You figured out what worked post-bye week by leaning heavily on your running back. Um, But you can also improve the offensive line. Like, you can really, really do that. And and it's just, you know, it's a matter of truly committing to it and not, you know, letting people in the front office, you know, make decisions of, oh, I see a pass rusher, other shiny objects that are not a guard. That's not a sexy pick for them. So, but it's a necessary one if you want to bring out the best in your quarterback because the interior pass protection has just not been there. It's a fact. So I think there's ways to improve this offense and you get it even more explosive than what Mike Zimmer saw this year. But you're right, Judd. This was, you know, the quintessential, this is what I want to do offensively. And you just wait. When my defense is back at the level that it's been the last few years and we're playing this level of offense, watch out. I mean, that's the mindset that he's – Yeah sending to to all of us that give my defense time to get back we had all these injuries and you know all this other stuff that happened to us out of our control you know but when when that unit is playing the way it did in 2017 we can play this 
methodical conservative style on offense with, you know, and, and be as explosive as you, as we want. And we're going to be a Super Bowl team. Like that's kind of what he's alluding to there. And whether that's true or not, you know, is going to a depend on the offensive coordinator and B depend on what the scheme actually looks like. And if they really don't make any changes, if that's kind of the way he wants to go with it, because he said the exact same thing the day after the San Francisco 49ers game in the division playoffs last year, he did not want any changes. Uh, to this offense, he loved the scheme, said the exact same thing this year. So I don't anticipate it being any different. So you're going to have a smaller pool of candidates to go through because like Judd said, if you're a young up and coming offensive mind, you're not going to want to be forced into running a scheme that you don't see fit that like you don't, you know, you should be getting Justin Jefferson, you know, a lot more involved than he was this year. But even Kurt kind of put the pump the brakes on that on Sunday. If you'll remember his quote saying that, um, you know, this is a run first offense and, you know, Justin has to be patient in that and that he was and he showed up when he needed to. But to me, that wasn't just, you know, Kurt complimenting the, the rookie wide receiver in all his, uh, you know, record breaking accomplishments. It's a caution, a tale of caution of if you think this is going to you're going to become this is going to become like a regular thing or if you think that we're going to be targeting you, you know, double digit figures every single game, just, you know, slow your roll on that. That to me was a warning sign more than just, you know, complimentary of him being ready when they needed him to be. Yeah, I think I, so. And by the way, uh, the only uh, on the list of candidates that the athletic put out, and I'm sure Courtney has more information on these. The only quote unquote young up and coming offensive mind on here is Clint Kubiak. Who's mm-hmm. like Rick Dennison is 62 longtime Kubiak associate. But like to your points about the offense, you know, you look on paper and you say, wow, they were fourth in total yards. You know, PFF had them ranked all season as one of the best overall offenses in the NFL. Um, and, and when things are going well, when they get out to a lead and when Dalvin is 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 getting going and, and Kirk can work off play action. By the way, Kirk Cousins, here's some nuggets for you on a nerd stat Tuesday. Cousins on play action, fourth in the NFL among quarterbacks with a 122 passer rating, second in the NFL and with 18 play action touchdowns, and fourth in the NFL with 9.6 yards per attempt. And so like we know that when they run the ball and they run off play action or they or they throw off play action, that the offense is excellent. My problem mm-hmm. is to win a Super Bowl, you need more than one formula to beat some of these great teams. Like when you're like if you want to boil this down next year and you're into the playoffs and it's divisional round, conference round and you're playing the Saints, eventually you might have to play the Chiefs if you want to win a Super Bowl, you might have to play the Chiefs. You might fall behind and the problem is the Vikings are so bad at pass protection and Kirk is not nearly as good when he's not reliant on play action. All of a sudden, the formula that works well goes away in some of these games. And and so I think whatever it looks like, I'm not saying overhaul the whole system, but they have to be better in other dimensions when things aren't perfectly set up for them offensively. And that's my biggest issue. Kirk's part of that. The offensive line is probably the biggest part of that. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, scheme. I mean, Courtney, they run the ball 89% of the time on second and one and second and two. So like in the instances where you could take a shot or you could get a big explosive play, they're still very much, Ooh, we just need one yard for a first down. Let's be conservative. And so they have to break out from some of this stuff. They need to stop being as predictable as they are. And you bring up second down, they have the highest design run percentage on second down, whether that's second and short, second and long, whatever. Um, that has to change. Like that's not like that's not up for debate. That has to change because teams are going to figure you out. Like that's all the NFL is is adapting to what 
what trends are happening and what your opponent's doing and knowing what your opponent's going to do before they even do it. So I, you have to change. You can't tell me that that's something that's acceptable going into next year. Like in running on second down is, is, you know, we've talked about this. It's one of like the the dumbest things to do offensively. If you're doing it repeatedly, like, and, and the fact of the matter is you have two, really good wide receivers in Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Thielen's probably got a couple more years left where he's playing at this level. Don't waste that. Don't waste Justin Jefferson's early years. I mean, the fact that the guy had 1,400 receiving yards effectively in in 14 games is wild. And I asked him about that after the game being like, hey, do you ever just kind of sit back and consider like, yeah, they didn't use me till week three. Um, imagine where you would have been had they, you know, taken the training wheels off from the start and, um, you know, opened up the playbook with Jefferson against Green Bay and the Colts in week one and two. And he said, yeah, like it's, you know, that's something that he's legitimately thought about. So, you know, I'm not saying that Justin Jefferson's going to come in here with the mindset of demanding the ball, but he should in 2021. He should demand the ball. Dalvin Cook, you know, is going to get his run. Absolutely. I mean, he was a terrific running back. He was in the MVP consideration this year. There's a reason that this offense worked as well as it did. It had three, you know, three chess pieces with Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, and Justin Jefferson. But to be so reliant on forcing things through Cook, when you can, you know that you can pass to set up the run. I know that that sounds like a football outsider's, like, um, you know, antonym or, or whatever. Like That just doesn't make any sense to some people. But you can do that in the NFL. You can pass on first and second down. You don't always have to run to set up the pass. Why don't they try it that way? Mm-hmm. See if it works. I that's, mean, that, honestly, like, it will. like that in, in the heart of the Adrian Peterson era, the most team success they had is when they passed to set up the run in 2009. Like at the, at the outset, it was an Adrian Peterson show. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's amazing how in the NFL, like some people bring up these stats about, well, when teams run the ball for this many yards or this many times and their record is amazing, right? It's like, well... Yeah, but did they build the lead by jamming the run in the first and second quarters, or did they get the lead by throwing the ball, and then they ran the ball for 100 yards in the second half because they were milking clock? And sometimes it feels like the Vikings' only approach is, in order for us to win, we must run the ball 70% of the time. And I think, By the way, I think they run the ball statistically over 60% of the time in the first quarter because we must establish the run. And I told these guys the other week, when Dalvin Cook is active, your run is established. So like you don't you don't you don't have to run fifteen times in the first quarter to prove it. Like you can still throw. It's okay. Build score more than eight points in the first half once in a while, I guess, would be my advice. Yeah. I mean, get off to a faster start and you know, don't play from behind. And when you're playing from behind, um, don't start out by running to try to even out the score because you're gonna kill the clock on yourself, which they've done. You know, but and then don't don't go to panic mode um, with, you know, the influx of targets for your wide receivers and your tight ends at critical moments. Like if you if you establish that earlier, if you get off to a faster start, you won't be kind of in this time crunch. You you put yourself in um, in the third and fourth quarter to try to win games. So I think, you know, wrapping that in a bow, they had an explosive offense this year. Absolutely. can they be better? Sure. Like they're not the most explosive offense in the NFL. And anybody that tries to tell you that is wrong. Um, there are a lot of flaws. I think, I mean, the scheme is I said, it's not broken, but there are flaws that you can point out and be like, Hey, what if we did this differently next year, tried it. And if it doesn't work, 
you know, deviate to something else. Like it, it just doesn't make a whole ton of sense to be like, we're going to run this back for a third straight year, no changes, same scheme. Because really, if you're doing that, then Clint Kubiak's probably your best option. I mean, he's a young guy. I don't know if he has the chops yet to be a play caller in the NFL, but he's, you know, he's been working under his father and this, this group of, of, you know, Rick Dennison, Brian Periani, Clint Kubiak, they've kind of been this little traveling group with, with Gary Kubiak, wherever he's been, um, you know, he would have the support staff around him in order to do this, to, to put him in the position. If he wants to be a play caller in the NFL, that he could do it effectively and know that he has people to lean on. But, you know, if you're going outside, you know, you, you're going to be looking at, got, at candidates and making sure that, hey, this is what we ran here in Minnesota in 2020. I hope your game plan for what you want to do as a coach mirrors this, because if it doesn't, you're going to be running into some issues. And if Clint gets the job, my guess is that Gary might agree to come back again as an offensive advisor and assistant head coach and around and around and around, and around a we go. Exactly right. <laughs> uh, so the... The real key here, because I think we all agree, as long as Zim is here, fundamentally, the offense is not going to change much from this. Like, we we can talk about what they should do, and we're probably right, but we don't run the team, and Zim is going to say, but I love to pound the football up the middle in the A-gap. So, my question to you pivots to the defense, which now becomes the most important thing. Um, I feel like the talk, and it's partially set up by Zimmer, starting with uh, Courtney with the post game against the Saints. The talk now is, well, when all my guys come back, we're fine. I get Kendricks yeah. back. I get Barr back. I Pierce opts back into football. Hunter comes back. An assumption that might be dangerous, but he's going to assume. Thousand percent. So, so as a person who's around the team and talks to a lot of people involved with the team and watches the team on a daily basis, tell me this. Is that a safe assumption or is that uh, fraught with problems? Because assumptions in football of everyone's coming back to me, are often far more dangerous than they are precise, than accurate. Back to Purple Daily in just a moment. Federated Mutual Insurance Company is helping business owners in the state of Minnesota, and they are developing new tools for you going into 2021. As a business owner, how helpful would it be for you to have employee training at your fingertips, industry resources that can help your business reach another level of success? Well, that's why Federated Mutual Insurance Company has recently launched MyShield, the online client destination for risk management services. MyShield has resources to help your business with all sorts of things involving risk management, including safety training and videos, customizable risk management plans, simple uh, sample risk management policies and checklists, workplace posters, employee handbooks, etc. Find out more at federatedinsurance.com and remember, Federated where it's always our business to protect yours. 100%. Like, it's an, I think the frustrating part of this season for someone who covers the team is that all off season, you know, we, you know, pointing out the, the, what they were doing, going all in in certain aspects and then taking a step back in other aspects. Like they misjudged the off season. They miscalculated it. I've been saying it. Other people in the beat have been saying it. But we were told all throughout the season, no, you're wrong. Like, that's not that's not accurate, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, lost nine players from the defense in 2019. We'll be fine. Today, Mike Zimmer says, yeah, I probably miscalculated some things. I was always told die with the lies. So, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but, you know, then he goes on to list 
everything that I have been saying that everybody else has been saying since March of 2020. You lost Everson Griffin. You lost um, Mackenzie Alexander, Linville Joseph, Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, and all the guys that you had that weren't starters that were a part of this scheme for a number of years. Anderson Deo, Stephen Weatherly, Marcus Sherrills even. A um, lot of guys. So it just kind of felt like a little too convenient with the timing on that. But then it's like, well, you know, we're going to be a much better defense when Pierce comes back, ops back in, um, when we get to Neil Hunter back, when we get Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr back. Like, Let's let's just discuss and establish one thing first. Eric Kendricks missed five games. Stop acting like he missed the whole season. He missed five games. That's big difference between five and 16. Um, and then you have two guys coming off season-ending injuries. One that you completely misjudged because you brought in Unique Ngakwe thinking, okay, well, Hunter's going to be back at some point. It's going to be great. Like You clearly misjudged that injury because otherwise you wouldn't have made that move because you, if you knew that Ngakwe was going to be out there by himself, you would you just – It'd be idiotic. You would never have made that move because you know he's a one-dimensional pass rusher. So Zimmer said today that he's, um, you know, encouraged about where Hunter is right now in his progress coming back. Um, you know, that he thinks he's going to be uh, an even better player than he was before the injury, which, which you know, could very well be true. Um, but we just don't know yet. And I think that it's a really hard thing to assume that, you know, if we get all these pieces back, we're going to be that much better. How can you guarantee that, especially the fact that two guys are coming off of season-ending injuries and have never dealt with these injuries before? Like, Daniel Hunter had a neck injury. It's not a foot. It's not an ankle. It's not a knee. It's a neck injury. You play a position where you have to bend. You're going to be facing double teams. Like, okay, like, to, to assume that he's going to be straight and he'll be just, you know, whatever, come back. I mean, yeah, he's going to be 27 years old next season, at the end of next season, so he'll start the year at 26. Um, he'll be fine, probably, but can we guarantee that? I, I don't think it's just as simple as saying, oh, Pro Bowl defensive end on one side. And also, that doesn't fix the other issues that you have. You need pass rushers. I asked him about that specifically. You need a three-technique defensive tackle because you did not generate any interior push this year, and you didn't have the guys that you could throw in there on the inside, what you did with Stephen Weatherly last year. Brian Robeson played that role. Um, you didn't have that this year. Why? Because your backups were forced into starters' roles, and then you didn't have any backups behind them. So these guys were doing the best that they could, but it wasn't good enough. So even if Daniel Hunter comes back, and even if Michael Pierce is there at nose tackle, you've got your three-technique spot. You also have the other defensive end spot. You have to upgrade both of those spots in order for this defensive line to be worth its salt in 2021 because you're going to be asking a lot of Daniel Hunter, who we anticipated – with Everson Griffin leaving, being on the receiving end of double teams, and it would be harder for him to do what he did the past two seasons with 14 and a half sacks um, by just you know being out there by himself. Yeah. So that's something that I think they're really going to have to focus on in free agency. You know, the cap's coming down. They're they're over the cap right now. Um, they can fix that. There's there's ways to do it. Cut Rudolph uh, if you really don't want if you you know figure out where Cleveland's playing because then that's going to determine what you do with Reef. Um, there's ways to make it work, but I think that you really got to prioritize defensive linemen first and foremost in free agency in the draft. The the reef thing is is becoming really interesting. I mean, a year ago it was like, all right, well he might even he might even just get cut and almost did yeah. before last season, and then like then they'll just kind of be done with Riley Reef because he's in his early 30s. But he's still a league average offensive tackle, and yeah. you know like like right now the Vikings have an above average tackle in Brian O'Neill, and according to PFF. 
around an average left tackle, which is not something to just dismiss in Riley Reeve. And then three huge question marks in the middle. And, and, and while they try to figure out what those three question marks are going to turn into, if you also jettison Riley Reef, and now his cap number is like 13 and a half next year. So you ha- like you, I don't think you can do that because you have to free up money for all the defensive things you're saying yeah. too. So I guess what I'm saying is I think it's actually more likely that they give Riley Reef a fairly cap friendly, like two year extension, extension or something mm-hmm. um, and smooth that cap number out so that they at least have some stability at the tackle positions and then go forward with some of these others. Like at first it was like, oh, they're going to free up 13 million next year. I don't know if that's the case. I don't think it's going to be 13. It might be more like nine or 10, but I don't think you can just get rid of him. No, I don't either. And I wrote that in kind of my off season checklist. Um, how do you fix the offensive line? I write this every year. Um, just copy yeah. and paste. Um, but <laughs> so true. To me, the key change the name, Courtney. It's pretty much um, the, the thing that you have to do first, figure out where Ezra Cleveland's going to play. If you say, okay, you know, he was good enough at right guard, but we don't want to keep him there. Um, we want to see him at left tackle. We draft him to be a left tackle. Move him out to left tackle. You free up $11 million something on the cap, and then you're focused on finding guards, either in free agency or the draft. But if you keep him at right guard, like the reason that he is so important and he's kind of the first domino that has to fall, because then that can determine what you're going to do with Reef. Um, and I'm with you, Phil. I think that you saw either convert his – salary for 2021 into a signing bonus um, you know, prorated or give him like a two year extension. You know, he bounced back this year in a big way and he's played some really good football, probably the best that we've seen in this recent stretch that he's been in Minnesota ever since he came here from Detroit a couple of years ago. So um, I think they would be wise to do that because reef was a really good left tackle for them throughout most of the season. O'Neill's your future um, at right tackle. You're going to probably talk extension with him at some point. And then if you really like Cleveland, if you think, hey, this guy has a high ceiling, let's keep him at right guard for now, see how that works, um, then you're really focusing on the left guard spot. And you can, I think they, you know, personally, I'm of the belief now, go into free agency, find somebody else um, that's, you know, certainly an upgrade from where Dakota Dozier was at left guard. But, you know, this team has also proven to us that we lost Courtney there. The main point about Riley Reef, like a year ago, it was an it was a foregone conclusion. He's just gone. Would you risk putting Ezra Cleveland as your starting left tackle in a win now season with a, a non mobile quarterback, and then opening up basically three job searches and those guard and, and center spots? Like I prefer that's not. a huge risk. I prefer not to. But the question also becomes: Is is Reef going to? be willing to restructure and do you favors after you literally screwed him before the 2020 season <laughs> well, started, which but you're not restructuring. You you're, you'd be giving him an extension. Like it would be, listen, but I'm just saying I would need reef had a good enough year and he plays a premium position where I would drive. I would not do the Vikings a favor. Yeah. So unless they came to me and said, we are going to reward you because they literally said, okay, take what we're offering or go out and find a job. And the season, if I recall correctly, was like five days from starting. Yeah. It, it, That's we, a really tough thing to accept. If you rally, so right now, like he's nowhere near the top of the list of left tackles, but uh, he got a job. But Bakhtiari and, and Laramie Tunsil both make $22, $23 million a year. The average starting left tackle in the NFL makes around 10 or 11, $12 million. And he took a cut down to, to eight last year. Yep. So, but the thing is, he's only guaranteed, I think, like maybe a couple million dollars or something next year. So you could say, listen, you're only guaranteed two. 
Forget about your cap number. We'll guarantee you 10 yeah. on a two-year but deal or something. I, I think he's due, I believe he's due, if I'm correct about the figure, $5 million three days after the league year starts in March. So that's going to be the payment that tells us. If they if they make that payment, he's staying. Yeah. If they don't, but I need to know, is the cap coming down to 180, 175? I, I believe, so it was at, if I'm not mistaken, it was at 198.2 million for this year and i've read reports of late that it's probably just going to go down to like 195 yeah it's not going to be the 175 so if that's the case i can do some things right yeah yeah but you're but you're going to be squeezed a little bit Uh, you know luckily for the vikings they've got one of the best capologists in the entire league real quick here because i don't think we've gone through this full like we've mentioned a lot of these names but just to fly through this here in terms of offensive coordinator candidates to replace gary kubiak this would be the sixth offensive coordinator in six seasons by the way Two, well, one was fired, flip. Um, another one re- resigned. Shermer left, Stefanski resigned. left, Turner resigned. No, Turner resigned. A couple got hired as head coaches. Yep. So it's kind of a mixed bag. Yep. But Clint Kubiak, 33 years old, uh, he's the Vikings quarterback coach. If, and, if Gary agrees to stick around and, and he goes back to an offensive advisor role and Clint becomes the OC, I think Zimmer would say yes for sure. Yeah. And I think, like, really, and, and we'll, we'll get Courtney back in here too, um, on the Clint Kubiak front, let me go through these quick, and then we'll. I have a couple questions for Courtney. I think it depends entirely too on his relationship with Cousins. Like if those guys have a great tight bond and they have chemistry, it makes even more sense. Rick Dennison, sixty-two years old, football lifer. Now he's he's been the Vikings' offensive line coach and run game coordinator. Um, he's been an offensive coordinator in Denver and Houston before. He basically just follows Gary Kubiak around. Anthony Lynn is a name that pops up. Fifty-two years old, just got fired by the Chargers. Uh, he actually has very little coordinator experience in his career. He's mostly been a running a running backs coach and a head coach. He loves to run, which Mike Zimmer loves. The Chargers were a top ten rushing attempts team this year, despite averaging only three point eight yards per carry. Pound that rock and trailing in most games. But rookie quarterback want to protect him, run the ball. Hugh Jackson is out there. Uh, he has a, a Cincinnati connection with Mike Zimmer. He's been out of football for a couple of years in terms of like. Day to day coaching. Um, problem is, I think, like if you look at his resume, now it was with Cleveland and the Raiders at their worst. He just took a couple of really tough I, jobs. I think he's too toxic. But like he, he, his offenses have been terrible throughout the years as a coordinator and head coach. Jay Gruden is kind of interesting because him and Zimmer have a connection from Cincinnati. Cousins is is really the Jay Gruden opened the door and said, "RG three, you're not my guy anymore." Kirk Cousins, you're the starting quarterback. He also developed Andy Dalton. Dan Campbell's interesting because he has big muscles and barbed wire tattoos. And then uh, Ken Zampezi is the quarterback's coach for Washington. Didn't Gruden rip Cousins on the way out the door, though? Didn't Gruden take a shot yeah, at Cousins? He did. Yeah, he, he did. did. Yeah. Oh, Kirk, no, like, no. Kirk's not yeah. going to like that. that no, that no. the end of that 7-9 and nine season. We yeah. do not want to hurt feelings so, here. So actually, like, of all these guys, like, if Jay Gruden and Kirk Cousins had a good relationship, I think that'd be the one that I would look at, but... But Clint Clint Kubiak is actually the one on here. All right, he's he's young. He probably has ideas that he wants to implement. And I think my question to you, Courtney, would be: I see him him and Cousins chirping at each other sometimes on the sidelines. But like that's heat of the moment. I'm assuming they have a good relationship. Like what 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 is the relationship and the trust level there with Clint Kubiak? You know, I mean, that's his quarterback's coach. That's the voice that he hears. Um, you know, most often, if it's not Gary, it's Clint. And I think that. 
you know, I don't know if Gary and Clint ever got to the level uh, that Norv and Scott were, uh, not Norv and Scott Turner were here a couple of years ago in, in the way that they would um, facilitate between the two of them and then relay the play to the quarterback, all of that. Um, but I do know that, you know, Clint's been kind of earning his stripes in this and he's had his father to learn under and he's been, um, you know, a number of different places. And is he ready for the job? I'm not sure. But when you talk about continuity and Kirk, you know, had mentioned that it's not that often in his career that he's ever had the same voice in his headset from year to year. And I don't buy that excuse completely as like the re you can't, I don't think you can blame that for anything like, Oh, he struggled this year because he had, you know, a different offensive coordinator, all of that. Like certainly what Zimmer says, right. You want to do what your quarterback is the best at for sure. I believe that, but um, just because it's a different person calling the plays. I don't know if that's going to really change things all that much. Um, how the information's relayed, certainly important, but, you know, Clint will be insulated. If he gets that job, he will be insulated with, you know, I, I, I kind of think that Judd's on to something there. Like, you know, maybe Gary Kubiak comes back and that senior offensive advisor, assistant head coach role that he had before um, to be able to make sure that this offense can survive without him and also giving somebody who's incredibly green um, and you know Clint Kubiak's a, a quieter shyer guy I mean in, in speaking with us he doesn't talk to us all that much but you know he'll be learning kind of on the fly too and it's just a matter of does Kirk need more support than than Clint can provide? That's what the Vikings need to to figure out in this offseason if that's the direction that they're going to go so they don't have to take a step back offensively. They can only take a step forward and build on that. But, you know, the name – Dan Campbell, I think his name came up. Um, it was either him or Sean Ryan when Sean was the uh, quarterback's coach in, in New Orleans – you know, their names came up uh, when John Filippo was hired in, in that process. So that's not surprising to me. Uh, Hugh Jackson, I remember for a hot second, was kind of in the mix. And then Zimmer squashed that rumor um, allegedly back in, in January of 2019 when they named Stefanski. Um, they took the interim tag away from him. And then, you know, I, I could... Anthony Lynn would be an interesting one just because they both have the Parcells connection. Yeah. Um, and he just got, you know, fired from, from the chargers. And like you said, Phil, they ran the ball a lot. So that could be interesting. I wouldn't mind seeing that one here, but um, I, it's honestly going to depend who's willing to play by Zimmer's rules <laughs> and run the offense that he wants to run. That's so important. Yep. So if I, I had a football stove, Courtney, and I was turning it up and down, what Football. what should the what should the heat dial going to training camp of 2021 be on the head coach and GM? If it's like a if it's like mine where it goes up to level eight, that's the highest, yeah. and that's like the, there's the center burner, and then there's the big burner. So you turn it up to eight, it's going to get all of them. Okay. So put Rick and Zimmer in the in both of those, nice. um, so we can we can kind of address this in in one turn of the dial. I would say I'd probably put it at like a six because we knew this year when we're talking about miscalculating the off season last year and most of us who are here and do our job said they probably miscalculated the off season that in doing so winning in 2020 is gravy. If you, if you win awesome, but you are set up to win compete in 2021. So do that. Um, but I just think that the way that things went this year and all of the stuff that went wrong, 
yes, some of it was out of their control, but you were only as good as the play and you are only as good as the players that you have, but you know, it took them a while to adjust to certain things. So I'd say the patience level, um, you know, from ownership, from, from other, you know, other factors will factor into him entering the season on the hot seat, both him and Spielman. It's going to depend how they do in the draft again this year. I mean, sure. In retrospect, we look at 2020 and say that wasn't a great draft class outside of a few pieces, but you had 15 picks. Like, that's the thing I don't get. You have that many picks, and yeah, you say you want to take the most bites out of the apple, whatever. This year you have 11 so far, and you'll probably end up having more knowing who the general manager is. Why not try to trade up? and get a better draft pick instead of having a bunch of sixth and seventh rounders that are either on your practice squad or or long gone. Like that's what I think you really need to focus on. So that's what we should be judging Spielman on. And then Zimmer will be judged on, okay, you said Dantzler and Gladney this season was necessary for them to enter next year ready to go. Are they ready to go? Is your defensive line going to be back to where it was or at least like nearing the level of where it was, where it actually generated a pass rush a few years ago. All of those things are very, very important. So that's why I think that we're going to be looking at Zimmer more closely under a microscope. I'm not saying that like he loses, you know, it's that hot where he loses a couple games and, you know, he he's gone by the fourth week of the season. Not at all, but you know, they have to bounce back in 2020 because he's also set the precedent here himself that it's one year in one year out, one year in one year out with the playoffs. Like, you can't regress two years in a row of this. If it's another seven and nine season, then I don't think he'll be here in a year. Yep. That's Courtney Cronin, everybody. She is a wonderful Vikings reporter for ESPN.com and, uh, and a friend of the show. And we appreciate all your insight throughout the year. And we'll definitely have you on uh, pretty regularly throughout the offseason, too. But thank you. And, and enjoy like a five-minute break and then into all sorts of speculation at some point <laughs> leading into combine yeah. draft, Special teams coordinator, get the scoop. We all care deeply. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Talk to All you. right. See you, Courtney. That's a wrap on this episode of Purple Daily. Please click the subscribe button on our YouTube channel if you could. And uh, also, if you could give us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple, if you listen there, that'd be great, too. Scorenorth.com for all of Judd's Vikings articles. And we'll see you guys tomorrow for the first edition of Vikings Write That Down.